What? <laughs> Where did that come from? Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Ulfstrom. The enduring image of Texas is that of the cowboy riding along the range, of the wealthy cattleman in his ranch, of the majestic Longhorn. The cattle industry has been linked to Texas throughout its history, from the earliest Spanish settlers to modern-day cowboys. This week we look at ranching in Texas. But first, what's your favorite place in Texas to get a hamburger that isn't Whataburger? Well, um, since Whataburger is my wonderful everyday hamburger, I'm going to pick the place where I get my special hamburger that uh, is not going to be an everyday sort of deal, uh, a gourmet burger, if you will. And that's going to be at the ranch in Las Colinas. Um, I've had two different burgers there that I really liked. One is no longer on the menu, and it had um, a nice, uh, just a good burger with your, you know, good meat, good bun, and then it had a uh, a fried egg on it, um, which really kind of tied the whole thing together, made it nice and gooey and chewy. But on their menu right now, they've got like a, a Wagyu beef burger with, uh, I don't know, some sort of uh, pecan uh, cheese on it. Sounds weird, but it's really delicious. Sounds deliciously decadent. Well, I, I'm going to throw in uh, a lovely place uh, in, in uh, Plano, called Love and Warren, Texas. And they actually have a really nice hamburger, great bun, um, get a lot of different sides, and a great atmosphere. So if you're in Plano, stop by Love and Warren, Texas. Well, my favorite place to have a, a burger is Twisted Root. It's a small chain in the Dallas area, and they're featured on Diners, Dive-Ins, and Drives. They have, uh, generally they have different types of meats. They've got wild boar and the venison and buffalo but i like the just the plain old regular hamburger patty uh but what i like to have is bacon and uh swiss cheese and ranch dressing and it's actually really really good sandwich Mm, that sounds pretty delicious And, and they have delicious fried sweet potato chips that are awesome as we talked about in our episode on the texas longhorn cattle ranches have been in texas for nearly as long as texas has existed The first conquistadors and Spanish explorers who came through northern Mexico and Texas brought cattle and their tradition of raising cattle on the open ranges with them. The very earliest large cattle ranches in Texas were established in Spanish missions in the 1700s, specifically the famed Mission La Bahia in Goliad. This ranch operated continuously until 1830. Through it all, hardy breeds descended from the ancient cattle introduced to Spain by the Moors were brought into the New World and found their way to Texas. As the missions declined, ranching shifted to private raisers, who were encouraged by the Spanish government with the use of huge land grants along the Rio Grande and the Coastal Bend in South Texas. These liberal land grants often developed into feudal estates, where owners, who were styled patrones, like Tomas Sanchez Laredo, commanded a following to occupy the land and handle livestock. The Cavazos, or San Juan de Caracitas grant in Cameron County, was nearly 30,000 acres, and other grants were even larger. Spanish and Mexican ranches were not usually called by the name of the owner or his brand, as was the American custom, but by such distinctive names as Ojo de Agua, Las Mastañeñas, La Para, and Santa Gertrudis. 
While few of the original Spanish ranches still exist, most of those that do actually predate the American Revolution, and they are the purest and earliest examples of Tejano culture in Texas. Land policies in Mexican Texas and in the Republic of Texas favored the sale of large tracts of land, which was readily available on the frontiers, though perhaps it wasn't always accessible thanks to the Comanche. The early American colonists to Texas weren't cattlemen, but farmers. Even they knew that the vast stretches of cheap land was most easily utilized by cattle that could graze with minimum effort. In fact, the Texas Declaration of Independence granted every family a league and a labor, which was about 4,600 acres. The smaller labor was intended to be farmland, the amount of land in theory that one family could farm by itself. The larger league was for cattle grazing, and the cattle could largely tend to themselves. In the 1830s and 40s, larger Anglo ranches started to develop, and after annexation into the United States, these ranches stretched further and further west. The evolution of feral herds of longhorn cattle coincided with the rise in demand for beef in the years leading up to the Civil War, and with the explosion of the beef market after the war, which created the cattle drive industry. The diminishing threat of Native American tribes and the decline of buffalo herds after the war led to the opening of the interior of Texas to ranching, shifting the center of the ranching industry from the coastal bend in South Texas to the north central plains. While the earliest cattle drives started deep in South Texas, by the end of the era, they were pretty much anywhere along the north and western bound trails where they could gather cattle from. The era of the cattle drive came to an end in the 1880s for several reasons. Contrary to popular belief, the ranching industry in Texas wasn't founded on, quote, free grass or the free ranges. There's always a desire by cattlemen to own land, and the cheap price of available land in Texas allowed numerous men to build huge estates pretty quickly. Some men, like Richard King and Mifflin Kennedy, got in early and braved hardships during the lean years. Others, like Charles Goodnight, made fortunes from driving cattle and blazing new trails, and were able to turn those fortunes into ranches of their own. In the 1880s, there was a boom in land speculation in Texas by corporations from the eastern U.S., and more unusually, by English and Scottish aristocrats and nobility. These absentee ranches didn't always succeed, but they did manage to introduce different perspectives on the use of land on the cattle ranches. The benefit of the open range was that it enabled easier cattle drives. What killed the range, though, was the invention and widespread adoption of barbed wire which was originally intended to protect crops from livestock. It served to section off ranches and their water sources from herders and other ranchers. There were conflicts over fence cutting in Texas, but they weren't as bitter or as bloody as they were further north in Wyoming and Montana. Even open-range pioneers like Charles Goodnight recognized the need for clear title to grazing rights and eventually fenced off his huge ranch near the Palo Duro Canyon. If barbed wire contributed to the end of the cattle drive through gradual restriction, the expansion of the railroads in Texas contributed by removing the very need for long drives to Kansas and Colorado railheads. Throughout the late 1800s, the Texas rail system continually expanded, first north and eventually west. In 1873, the Texas rail was connected to the national system through Houston and later near Texarkana. In the early 1880s, Dallas and Fort Worth, towns along the northbound cattle trails, were railheads, and Fort Worth especially became a cattle town, more famously known today as Cowtown. Through the 1880s, the railroads reached New Mexico and eventually Colorado. 
There was no need for cattle drives to go thousands of miles to Kansas. They just had to take their cattle to the nearby train stop. Now, just because the cattle drive was dead, it didn't mean that ranching was. In fact, the turn of the century was a boom time for cattle ranching in Texas, with advances being made in range utilization, livestock management, and the development of new breeds. The years leading up to the First World War were particularly successful. The 1920s and Great Depression were hard times, but again, the need for beef remained during the Second World War and especially in the post-war population boom. The 1970s, 80s, and 90s again saw downtimes for many of the largest ranches, but the 2000s have seen a new resurgence of cattle ranching in the state. This is because smaller ranches operating in cooperative networks have adopted modern techniques as well as increased promotion of natural grass-fed organic products, healthy beef. Government programs like the Go Texan program, as well as the efforts of business owners like baseball legend Nolan Ryan, have created a new boom for Texas beef. Now, let's take a few minutes to talk about some of the more famous and noteworthy Texas cattle ranches. Of course, no discussion about ranching in Texas is complete without talking about the granddaddy of them all, King Ranch. King Ranch was established in 1853 on land between Corpus Christi and Brownsville by a New York-born riverboat captain named Richard King. King had made a small fortune during the Mexican War transporting supplies along the Rio Grande for General Zachary Taylor. He and his partner, Mifflin Kennedy, also made important contacts with the American military and the Texas state government, which enabled them to take advantage of the confusing time to shift from transportation to ranching after the war. The original grant was the old Rincon de Santa Gertrudis grant, around 15,000 acres, which he purchased from its owner for around $1,800. Over the years, he steadily increased his holdings, and by the end of his life, the King Ranch had expanded to over 800,000 acres. To staff the ranch, King hired the entire town of Cruyas in Tamaulipas, Mexico. The entire village moved north into King's new ranch and formed the nucleus of a miniature culture of Quininos, or King's men. Many of those descendants still live and work on the ranch today. King's early years were marked by conflict with Juan Cortina, who had accused King of stealing land belonging to its rightful Tejano owners. In truth, some of King's deals to acquire land were not entirely above board. Everything was legal, but King always seemed to come away with the land with little actual cost to himself. In 1868, he and Kennedy split up their holdings, and Kennedy himself became a prominent rancher. King's daughter married a lawyer named Robert Justice Kleberg, who had managed to represent both sides of a land dispute between King and the widow of a former partner. When King died in 1885, Kleberg became the manager of his mother-in-law's estate and adopted King's family motto, quote, Buy land, never sell, as gospel. By the time Mrs. King died in 1925, the ranch stretched over a million acres and had a diversified agribusiness portfolio for its day. Robert Sr. died in 1932, passing along control of the ranch to his oldest son, Bob Kleberg Jr., who took King Ranch to new heights of prosperity. Cleburne reorganized the ranch into an actual corporation with himself as the president and the extended family as shareholders. Cleburne pioneered the development of a new breed of cattle, the disease-resistant Santa Gertrudis. He also continued the ranch interest in breeding championship quarter horses, producing the Triple Crown winning racehorse Assault in 1946. 
Kleberg opened up the ranch to petroleum exploration in 1933, striking oil in 1939. By the 1950s, the King Corporation was worth millions. It operated in five states and seven foreign countries. Edna Ferber's Giant and James Michener's Centennial are both said to be largely based on the story of King Ranch. Kleberg died in 1974, but the ranch's fortunes have continued to grow into the 21st century. Today, King Ranch is still a working cattle ranch stretching over 800,000 acres and is a major source of tourism as well as functioning as a large wildlife preserve. It's also a major agribusiness corporation, just like it was back in the 30s. Finally, the corporation has established the ranch as a major marketing brand, perhaps most famously seen in the highly successful Ford King Ranch Edition pickup truck. What better symbol of Texas? Of course, while King Ranch is the oldest and grandest of all Texas cattle ranches, even at its biggest, it wasn't the biggest in Texas. That honor goes to the XIT Ranch in a far west corner of the Texas Panhandle. This ranch, which operated from 1885 to 1912, was over 3 million acres, running for 200 miles north and south along the New Mexico border at a width of 20 to 30 miles. It stretched through different portions of 10 different West Texas counties, hence the name XIT for 10 in Texas. The ranch itself originates from a surprising source, the Texas Constitution. In 1879, the Texas legislature, looking to raise money for a new and larger state capitol building, exercised its rights under the Constitution to sell public land in order to pay for the project. Three million acres of land was appropriated by the legislature, and in 1882, all of this land was sold to a syndicate of investors from Chicago and Great Britain, led by Chicago businessmen Charles and John Farwell, for $3.7 million. That's right, the state capitol building of Texas cost $3.7 million. The original intention of the syndicate was that they would parcel off the land and sell it to farmers. But after a survey by investor Colonel Amos C. Babcock, the syndicate instead decided to stock the entire grant with cattle and fence it off. In 1885, 150,000 head of cattle were brought in and 1,500 miles of fencing was put up. The 1890s were a heyday for the ranch, which employed several hundred itinerant cowboys and their families. In 1901, the syndicate began the long process of subdividing and selling off the land, much of it to other ranchers or to the families that had been working the land. Ranching operations finally ceased in 1915, but today the memory of the XIT Ranch still runs strong in those 10 counties. The city of Dalhart hosts the XIT Museum, and every year the annual XIT Rodeo and Reunion is held. Originally a reunion for the cowboys who had worked the ranch, this event remains important to their descendants, as well as the people who continue to live and work in the area. The celebration includes three days of rodeos, live music, and the world's largest free barbecue. There are a number of fun and unusual stories from the glory days of the Texas cattle boom. Like the XIT Ranch, the Rocking Chair Ranch in Collingsworth County in the Panhandle was originally established as an investment opportunity. In this case, it was a Scottish nobleman and banker named Dudley Coots Major Banks, the first Baron Tweedmouth, who purchased the land in 1883. When he died in 1884, the ownership passed to his son Edward, the second Baron, a liberal politician and later Lord Privy Seal and First Lord of the Admiralty. Tweedmouth's youngest son, Archibald, was sent to Texas in 1885 to work as an assistant ranch manager and bookkeeper, where he lived in a wooden shack with the ranch manager. 
Archibald later married a girl from Nashville and left the ranch after it failed in 1896. Still, the ranch's unusual ownership left its mark on Collinsworth County. The nearest town to the ranch was renamed Aberdeen after Tweedmouth's daughter, who was married to the Marquis of Aberdeen. Another town nearby was named Wellington because Lord Aberdeen's uncle was the famous Duke of Wellington. Aberdeen thrived for a while, but eventually disappeared in the 1960s. Wellington, though small, still prospers today as the county seat. Now the XIT ranch is closed, but several of the massive cattle ranches founded in the 1870s and 80s still exist today. J.A. Ranch near the Palo Dura Canyon was founded by James A. Dare and Charles Goodnight, and at its peak size was over a million acres. Today, the ranch is the oldest privately owned cattle ranch in the Panhandle. The 6666 Ranch still stretches over 350,000 acres in King County, just south of the Panhandle, and its famous red barn now stands at Texas Tech University in Lubbock. Wagoner Ranch, located west of Wichita Falls near the Red River, stretches over 500,000 acres of land. And though most of its wealth is from oil under the ground, it's still a working cattle ranch, employing about 30 full-time cowboys and their families. The ranch made news recently when it was sold to an unknown buyer for over $800 million. Perhaps the purest example of the mindset of the Texas cattle rancher is from the small Triple Arrow Ranch located in the old XIT grant in Lamb County. County Judge William Thompson and his wife own the land and graze a small herd of cattle on the Thousand Acre Ranch. The Triple Arrow contains remnants of at least three historic dugouts used by buffalo hunters and ranchers, as well as one of the few remaining recognizable sections of the McKenzie Trail, which was once the primary route for wagon trains traveling from Fort Griffin and Shackleford County to Fort Sumner, New Mexico. When the Thompsons purchased the Triple Arrow in the late 1980s, another interested buyer had planned to turn the acreage into irrigated farmland. Thompson said that in hindsight, he understands that if he and his wife had not purchased the property and maintained it as a ranch, the historic sites would have been destroyed. The Thompsons have declined offers to drill for oil on the property. Thompson understands the weight of history in the land that he owns. In an interview with the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, he said, When you walk this stretch of ground alone, you don't really feel like you're by yourself. Because there's cows. <laughs> He didn't say that. I added that part. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of Texas without thinking of cattle ranching. I mean, right. it, it feels like something that's always been here and will always be here, regardless of all the, the high tech businesses and uh, all the oil drilling. All, all of that's part of Texas, too. But, you know, cattle ranching is a huge part. Well, and if you think about it, most of the world, when they think of Texas, they think of the TV show Dallas. Yeah. And where is that set? South Fork Ranch. The yep. Ewing family first made their fortune from cattle ranching. And so, I mean, that is indelibly part of Texas. The idea of these massive ranches, I mean, your brain can't even wrap around how big these things are. I mean, it's, it would be kind of like saying, like, you know, thinking of, uh, I'm trying to think of, of of that kind of area of land that you can imagine, like, having to one person really being sort of the, the owner and controller over. Hey, Siri, how many square miles is a million acres? One million acres is 1,562.5 square miles. That, that's a pretty big chunk of land right there. Over uh -huh. almost 2,000 square miles. Wow. That is, um, 
That is that is crazy to to picture in your head. Um, so if you go south of of Corpus Christi on seventy seven, you're going to hit Kingsville, and then beyond Kingsville, I believe there's like a stretch of highway that goes almost to Harlingen. That is there is nothing but the King Ranch, and there are no gas stations. Or there maybe is like one gas station for the whole stretch of several hundred miles. There, there used to be an actual border check in the on the King Ranch. You'd have to go right. through the. Right. Um, you know the thing about the King Ranch too is you know it talks about splitting with Kennedy his assets, but Kennedy's ranch is is what became Corpus. Right. You know. Right. I mean, and that was that was like three hundred fifty thousand acres itself. Right. So it's it's one of these things of you you just you. You just think of, oh, okay, it, the landscape of Texas has changed, and these were influential land barons of of this time. But the other thing, and we talked about this in the early part of the show, um, you know, the cattle boom, and especially like this this romantic notion of the cattle drive, was a, a flash in the pan. I mean, it was a, just a very short time when that it was like a decade, decade, yeah. two decades, almost not quite two decades. I mean, you know, less time than The Simpsons was on TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cheers. It was a run of cheers. But, you know, <laughs> well, and so it's it's kind of one of those things of it. It's probably the most iconic thing about cattle that we think of, but it really doesn't represent the whole of the cattle experience. I, you know, the funny part of this whole thing to me, I, I love the story of the Baron. Baron Tweedmouth. Yeah. Baron. <laughs> Better than Tweedmouth, um, and and, and that was that was one of the spurs for me to write this episode because I'm reading a book about uh, about the British Navy in the lead up to the First World War, and uh, he is he is one of the people in this book because he was the first Lord of the Admiralty, or it's like the Secretary of the Navy for mm-hmm. for Great Britain. Anyway, I was reading about him, and I went to Wikipedia, and like one of the entries in Wikipedia says he also owned a cattle ranch in Texas, and I was like. <laughs> What? <laughs> Where did that come from? Um, but the other emphasis for me, for us work doing this episode is is the Wagner Ranch. So when I lived in the town of Harold, which is in North Texas, Harold is right outside of Wagner Ranch. And it was a tiny little town. My dad was the superintendent of the school. And within the school district was the Wagner Ranch. And I had several friends whose parents lived and worked on the ranch. And so, you know, and I would go out to their houses and you'd have to go onto the ranch property to go to their homes. But there was just 30 to 40 cowboys working there. A guy I went to school with is actually still lives there and is a working cowboy. Um, And so there's a concern with this purchase. No one really knows. It's not, no one knows who it is, right? Not publicly. And there's a concern that they're going to split this land up. They're going to close the ranch. They're only going to have it be for the oil. And it's going to put these people who are still living a lifestyle, other than some pick, some pickup trucks, uh, and and you know direct TV, they're still living a lifestyle that their grandparents lived and their great grandparents lived, who've worked on this ranch for generations. And so that's it's a concern that a that a way of life may be going away. Well, you know, it's one of those things of uh, Texas is a place for second chances and transformation. So. Uh, the role of cattle, the role of the cattlemen uh, will always be a part of Texas. But just, you know, exactly what that is and, and what the future of these ranches is, is I, I think that's something that's it's probably going to, to transform. Yeah, fortunately, I think uh, the price of beef per pound is 
higher than the price of oil per gallon. So (laughs) right now, so that's helping the cattle industry. You know, the oil's under the ground. You can like, the cattle can just hang out around the pump jacks. (laughs) So you can have the best of both worlds. That's right. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast. Or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And while you're at it, follow us individually. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean at Two Ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You probably love beef and a hamburger. So go get a hamburger and then tell your friends and everyone you're standing in line with to go and listen to Come and Take It. Leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out. And if you'd like to help the show financially, why not subscribe to our Patreon? You can find it at patreon.com slash texaspodcast. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.